0: Chapter Twelve of Robin Hood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jonathan Drury. Robin Hood by Paul Creswick. Chapter Twelve. So ingloriously they returned through the night to Locksley. None offered to stay them in the forest of Sherwood. Indeed, Robin might well have disbelieved in the existence of Will of the Green and his outlaw band, had he not had such good reason to know otherwise. It was as if Will had silently yielded him that freedom of the forest, which he boasted was his to give. Tired and footsore, yet filled with a strange elation, Robin came back to Locksley before dawn, with faithful Stutely forlornly following him. There were questions to be asked and answered when they arrived and Warrenton was very indignant when he heard of the prince's gross favoritism of his archer Hubert. Robin seemed to show too little vexation in the matter, Warrenton thought. The man-at-arms was both perplexed and amazed by the semi-indifference displayed by the youth. Here had he, by marvelous skill, won a fine prize, and had seen the same snatched most unfairly from him, and yet was not furiously enraged, but rather amused, as it were. "'Surely, surely you will go back with me to-morrow and demand the purse from the sheriff,' said Warrington, in argumentative attitude. "'Squire George of the Hall shall give us the best of game will to enforce respect to you.' "'Nay, it matters not so much as that, Warrenton. "'The money I would like to have had, I'll not deny it, for it would have made me more independent of Master meng Tzu. "'But it has not fallen to me, and there it ends.' "'Well, tis well that you are so easy, Lording,' said Warrington, scratching his head. Now tell us whom you saw, and how you contrived to split the Norman's arrow. He had already heard the story, but was very fain to listen to it again. It is a trick that I taught him, Dane, he added off-handedly to Mistress Fitzsooth. One that did surprise the Norman, too, all warned me. You see, they are so concerned with their crossbows and other fal lals in France, that when good English you... I saw Master Will, said Robin, to check him. Once Warrenton was started on a dissertation on the virtues of the English longbow, there was usually no staying him. He told me that the Scarlet Knight had gone to France. Warrenton looked wise. That is not worthy of belief, Excellence, said he cunningly. Prince John is near, and one cannot imagine that Geoffrey of Montfichet. Geoffrey of Montfichet, asked the dame, wonderingly. And then Warrenton saw how he had blundered. Why, I did not know that you had met your cousin, Robin. When was it? And why do you call him the Scarlet Knight? Geoffrey is outlawed, mother mine, and may not appear in Sherwood, answered Robin, temporizing with her. And the story of our meeting is too long, a one for the moment. We are rarely fatigued, and I would gladly get me to bed. Come, Will, rouse yourself. Mother, see that we do not sleep too long. I must go to Gamewell by the day after tomorrow at least, and there is much work between my going and now. He had determined to ask the squire to move again in the matter of the rangership for him whilst John was here. Even if the prince had unduly favored Hubert in the archery contest, it did not necessarily follow that he would be unjust in such a plain business as this. Robin kissed the dame, struggled with a yawn, and got him to rest. He slept uneasily, his dreams being strangely compounded of happiness and grief. Within three days Robin started away for Gainwell, taking only stutely as before. He intended to make his return to Locksley ere dusk of the next night. When they were far advanced on their journey, they heard sounds of a large company upon the road, and prudently Robin bade stutely hide with him in the undergrowth until they should see who these might be. Maybe 'tis the sheriff with Master Ford coming to seize our home. By watching them unseen we may find a way to bring their schemes to naught. Keep near me, Will, and scarcely breathe. It was indeed a body of men from Nottingham and although the sheriff was not with them master carfax and a few of the lincoln bullmen were amongst the company so also was ford the forester in all there were about two score of men and most of them were sherwood foresters robin espied much the miller in the tail of the procession looking very dejected and ill and decided to risk exposing himself standing up in the bracken he called out boldly hold there master much here am i ready to take your money what sprite are you? answered Much. Reining in his steed sharply. Why, tis the gypsy lad, as I live, with his face nicely washed. He had recognized Robin by his clothes. Money, forsooth! Do you know that I have not so much as a groat in my pouch? Then must one of the others lend it to you, replied Robin. Pay me, friends, forthwith. A short reckoning is an easy reckoning. My arrow flew nearer the target than did any of yours. "'How do you know that?' said Mooch. "'After you had gone, we all did aim again, and very marvellous was my shooting. "'For sure I should have had the prize, even as I told you, had not Hubert already made off with it. Is this so?' asked Robin, doubtfully, looking from one to the other of the Lincoln men. Those in front had now stopped also, and Master Carfax came ambling back to see what had occasioned the delay. So soon as he espied Robin, his face took a joyful look here master ford he called clapping his hands hither come hither here is your quarry found for you now you can fight it out fair and square whilst we watch to see fair play ford turned about and glanced at robin but he did not like the notion of such a battle so he affected not to recognize him nay this is but some vagrant fellow said he hesitatingly let us push on master Simeon. 'Tis tis near the hour when we are to meet with him whom you know he added these words in a low voice, and made a gesture indicating the Cotmanhurst road. Carfax's face took a diabolical expression. He had begun to answer Ford when the whole party were suddenly disturbed by the rush of a great herd of royal deer. These beasts, driven by someone from out of their pastures, came scattering blindly adown the track, and men and horses moved quickly to one side to avoid a devastating collision. After they had passed, Carfax began again. Form a ring, friends, cried he, coaxingly. Let neither of these fellows escape. They shall yield us some sport, in any event, whether Ford be right or I. A A solitary stag at this instant appeared before them. He stood, as if carved from stone, in the center of the road, at three hundred paces' distance. He was clearly uncertain whether to dash through these, his usual enemies, in an attempt to rejoin the herd, or fly backward to that unknown danger which had first startled them all. "'Tis a fine beast,' hiccuped Moach. "'Now had I a steady hand.' Simeon Carfax interrupted him. "'By the Lord, Harry, here is the very thing,' he said, in whispered excitement. "'Now, fellow, you shall prove me right in this forester wrong.' "'I say you were Robin of Locksley, who did split the Norman's arrow at the tourney. "'Fly a shaft now at yon mark. "'Surely none but such a bowman as yourself might dare hope to reach it robin fell into the very palpable trap set for him without answering carfax he fitted an arrow to his bow and sent speeding death to the trembling stag it fell pierced cleanly to the heart robin eyed ford triumphantly but master carfax now held up his hands in horror see what you have done wicked youth ejaculated he as if quite overcome with dismay i bade you shoot at yon birch-tree shimmering there to the left of the deer did i not say fly at yon mark and now you have killed one of the king's deer i do hear that this fellow has slain others about loxley you are right master simeon he is in sooth robin of loxley your eyes are wiser than mine seize him my men at once the forester sprang upon robin and Stuteley, and a fierce battle was commenced despite a valiant resistance robin and will Stuteley were soon overcome and bound hard and fast you villains panted stootly and you most treacherous he called to carfax i wish you joy of so contemptible a trick all's fair in war friend answered carfax now master ford fulfil your duty you know the law that if one be found killing the king's deer in the royal forest of sherwood he or she may be summarily hanged when caught upon the nearest tree it must be in flagrante delicto master simeon said ford uneasy again could there be a plainer case cried carfax rubbing his hands We all did see this fellow shoot the deer. "'Tis the clearest case, and I do counsel you to deal lawfully in it, Master Ford. Remember that he also is suspected of being an outlaw, in that you saw him once use a peacocked arrow. Although I am but a layman, as it were, friend, he added, meaningly, yet I do know the law, and shall be forced to quit my conscience with the prince when I return to Nottingham. Wherefore, seeing that your appointment to Locksley still lacks his confirmation, I would rather bring the rogue to Master Monsou as he did command me, argued Ford, who could not quite brace himself to this. Besides, we have no leisure at this moment to carry out the law, he went on. You know that your master, the prince, did start us on this journey with two errands upon our shoulders? One was to deal with Robin of Locksley, said Carfax, snarlingly and without yielding his point. To take him to Nottingham, master, I say, put in Mooch. I do not think that the prince meant you to harm him be silent knave snapped the lean-faced man sharply who gave you the right to question me shut your mouth or i will have you accounted as accomplice with these fellows and put a noose about your bull-neck also why hark ye, master said mooch very wrathful tis a game where two can play or more i do forthwith range myself with the gypsy and you midge he added turning to one of his company surely you will follow right instantly answered the one called midge a little ferret of a man and i also and i master much so spoke the remaining lincoln men so we are six then said much he tumbled off his horse and the other three of them did the like and then strode over to where robin stood release him said the miller determinedly and he promptly knocked two of the foresters sprawling this was the signal for a general encounter and all threw themselves very heartily into the melee. The miller and his men struggled to release Robin and Stuteley so that these might help in the fray, but the foresters were too many for them. Twice did Much get his hands upon Robin's bonds, only to be plucked violently backwards. The men tumbled one upon the other in the fight, pummeling, clutching, and tearing at each other in a wild confusion. They made little noise, all being too desperately in earnest. Ford encouraged his foresters by word and gesture, and Carfax kept himself as far out of it as possible, presently, three of the foresters overpowered the good-natured still half-tipsy Miller and held him down. Then, Master Carfax sprang from his horse and rushed in upon the prostrate miller, seizing one of the forester's pikes. The lean-faced man foully swung it down upon which's pate with a sounding thwack. The miller gave a groan and became limp in the hands of his assailants. Now, surely that is the meanest of all the mean deeds which you have done, cried Robin. He tore at his bonds fiercely and vainly, biting at the cord about his wrists with his teeth. Carfax ran to his horse. In an instant, he had returned with a cord taken from under his saddle. I had a notion that this might be useful to me when I set out this morn, he said. Put it about his neck as soon as a noose is fashioned. Now fling the end of it over this branch. Now draw it tight. Steadily, I pray you, be not over quick. The prisoner has the right to speak a prayer ere he be hanged. Say it, then, Robin of Locksley." Robin caught sight at this instant of poor Stuteley's face. He had been knocked down in the fight, and, being bound, had lain where he had fallen. His eyes met Robin's in an anguished glance, and his lips trembled in attempt at speech. Robin strove to smile at him, but his own soul was sick within his body. He felt the cord tighten again about his throat, but even as the world reeled black, Robin heard dully the sound of a horn. In familiar tones it came in upon his fainting brain. Next instant came a jerk at the rope, futile if infuriated. Then, suddenly, contact with a body falling heavily against his own. As he fell, he knew that something warm and horrid trickled upon his hands. Then followed a vast confusion of noise, and in the midst of it, sweet peace. End of chapter twelve. Recording by Jonathan Drury, Los Angeles, California.